gratitude, the heart of thanksgiving, gratitude. Gratitude takes a little practice. Dear God, may we be empowered to find, to discover at least one thing to be grateful for. Grateful for a cup of water, grateful for a leaf changing color, grateful for working with my son on eighth grade algebra problems, grateful for a sunrise, grateful for a sunset, grateful for a friend's memory, the stars in the sky, all reminding us of the limitless, endless gifts that come from you, O God, our God. You, God, are unlimited, and we are the recipients of the limitless nature of gratitude and ordinary graces. Sometimes we are able to hold gratitude like a crimson leaf, hold it in our hands, and we reclaim gratitude for the changing of the seasons. We become immersed in the world of gratitude once again and, and feel the wonder, feel the surprise, like the wind, the wind stronger than we thought, tossing us around like the changes of life, pandemic problems, hopes dashed, anxieties rising, moments when we are found and lost and found again, and we are grateful, grateful to be alive. And our friend gratitude shows up for a visit. We claim the truth, loving God, that the soul that gives thanks can find comfort in everything, and the soul that only complains can find comfort in nothing. Lord, lead us down the path where we may find comfort in giving thanks and not in complaining. Each day, O oh God, we are called to add to and gently meander into things, people, and places in our journey of life and find gratitude until we become grateful for everything, for the dust on the shelf, for the sun reflecting off a stained glass window, the silence after a busy day, for the grace hidden in, in unsightliness, for the presence waiting in, in absence, for the blessing wrapped in troubles, and we become completely and equally grateful for everything. We find gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. Gratitude turns what we have into enough and more. Gratitude turns denial into acceptance. Gratitude turns chaos into order. Gratitude turns confusion into clarity. Gratitude turns a meal into a feast. Gratitude can turn a house into a home. Gratitude can transform a stranger into a friend. And gratitude, O oh God, by your grace, when gratitude becomes more than our ingratitude, we live differently, we see differently. It is the ingratitude of our hearts that blinds us. Forgive us. May we see the crimson leaf that we hold in our hands with softer eyes, with fuller hearts, and live with unspeakable, unshakable gratitude in all things, with all things, with all people, and everywhere we go. May we find grace and space for gratitude. 
With grateful hearts, may we join our voices and our spirits together in the prayer our Lord taught us, his disciples, to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
The witness of scripture today is Psalm 100, the word of the Lord, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. May we receive God's blessing from the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Amen. In a playful conversation with friends earlier this week, we were laughing that we have all discovered a new way to speak of time, life before COVID-19 and life since. 
life before the October ice storm that knocked out both power and trees, and life since. Life before 2020 and life since. It's a lighthearted way to talk about the heaviness of life since last Thanksgiving. A global pandemic, the crisis of race relationships, the seeming politicization of everything, the vortex of unending hurricanes in the Gulf and wildfires in the West. These are all massive, critical issues that require courageous and sustained responses that challenge even the most patient and persistent of people, leaving most people much of the time and all people some of the time feeling anxious, angry, depressed, disgusted, grieving, and tired. It can all be overwhelming, creating a sense of inadequacy or at least a sense of uncertainty. We would like to do something, but we're not even sure where to start. Another friend commenting on these times mentioned what he had learned a long time ago. When we feel overwhelmed and we are not sure what to do, then just do the next right thing. It may not seem like much at the time, but at least do the good that is right in front of you because doing something good is far better than doing nothing good. We're four days before Thanksgiving. And many people are facing the disappointments and the challenges of a Thanksgiving holiday absent the people and the traditions that have framed our iconic images of what this week is to be. In many ways, this fits with the year that has been, and it anticipates what will also be a much different Christmas season. That we are given to lament is understandable and appropriate. But we would miss the fullness of this week if that is all we did. So we gather today to be reminded by our faith that the next right thing to do is to offer a word of thanks. Not as an act of denial, insensitivity, or arrogance, but as faithful witness to what has been and as hopeful expression of what will be. The church in its wisdom has too many hymns of thanksgiving to sing on one Sunday, and so we sing from the treasure store of gratitude for several Sundays in November. Last week we sang, Now Thank We All Our God, and just heard it again this morning, and the poignant lines of the second stanza, Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us full of grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. That second stanza is as powerful today as it was when Martin Reinkert penned them in 1636 in the midst 
of the Thirty Years' War that along with the plague ravaging the city of Eilenburg and decimating not only the citizens but also the ministers of the churches left Reinkert as the only clergy to attend to the citizens and to offer comfort to the dying and to officiate multiple funerals every day. It was Reinkert who, in addition to his priestly duties, finally negotiated a truce to the siege of the, sin, of the city and the end of the suffering. It seems not likely the time to write a hymn of thanksgiving. And yet knowing there is never well-being without thanksgiving, Reinkert gave his fellow citizens the gift of this hymn, that almost 400 years later, we still wisely sing. And so in that spirit, the church called First Christian of Norman in a time of pandemic and unrest dares to read from the Psalter, not as a defiant act of protest, but as an humble act of reorientation. In his book, The Message of the Psalms, Walter Brueggemann observes that while the 100th Psalm is a generalized song of thanks, it still remembers a time when Israel was suffering and uncertain of the way forward. All the old markers, all the dependable patterns had been disrupted and the future seemed at risk. And yet, while much had been lost and there was no going back to the old status quo, God in unforeseen ways raised to life new possibilities and new patterns for living that did not privilege the few only, but that healed the many. And in response to that grace, no doubt the same grace for which Reinkert wrote his hymn, the community of faith is summoned to worship with songs of thanksgiving. It is the next right thing to do. As it was then, so it is now, that when the church gathers for worship, we enter through a gate called gratitude. The church in its faith recalls God's fidelity, even in the hard times. The church, in its wisdom, reminds us of our inheritance, even in the sobering times. In a speech given at Hillsdale College, historian David McCullough reminds his audience that there was never a self-made man or woman. We all know who those people are who've opened a window, given us an idea, given us encouragement, given us a sense of direction, or have straightened us out when we were on the wrong path. And so too have people we've never met who composed the music that moves us, the painters, the poets, those who've written great literature. The laws we live by, the freedoms we enjoy, the institutions we take for granted are all the work of others who went before us. To be indifferent to that 
isn't just to be ignorant, it's to be rude. And ingratitude is a shabby failing. Later in that same speech, McCullough quotes a letter from Abigail Adams to her son, John Quincy, who she learned had become rather enamored with himself and his opinions. So his mother wrote him this letter. If you are conscious to yourself that you possess more knowledge upon some subjects than others of your standing, reflect that you have had greater opportunities of seeing the world and obtaining knowledge of mankind than any of your contemporaries, that you've never wanted a book, but it has been supplied for you, that your whole time has been spent in the company of men of literature and science. How unpardonable would it have been in you to have turned out a blockhead? Gratitude, as both David McCullough and Abigail Adams remind us, begins with the humble realization of all that has been provided. Gratitude, in other words, begins in the heart and in the mind, but it is never meant to be kept there. Gratitude is meant to take us from thought to behavior, to move us from reception to inception. There's a practice for some that as an expression of gratitude, people make a list of that for which they are thankful. It's not a bad idea to do such a thing as long as such a list takes us beyond a personal inventory, takes us beyond ourselves. Lillian Daniel, in her book, When Spiritual But Not Religious Is Not Enough, recalls the story of a disenchanted churchgoer who tells her how proud he is of his school-age son who wrote a report about children in faraway places whose lives are darkened by violence and hunger. The boy concluded, it made me realize that we're so lucky to be living here and not there. The parent bragged that the son really gets it. That's what our religion is, gratitude. Daniel observed in her book, when you witness pain and declare yourself lucky, you have fallen way short of what Jesus would do. God wants us to witness pain and suffering and rather than feeling lucky, God wants us to feel angry and want to do something about it. Israel in its wisdom and the church in its faith knows that the worship of God enters through a gate called gratitude that is then to move us beyond self-obsessed madness, clutching acquisitiveness, and insufferable entitlement. A gate called gratitude is always the next right thing to do. About a month ago, in the company of a friend, 
we went to the drive-through of a local fast food restaurant to pick up dinner because it's the safest way to dine out in these times. The line was long, the service was slow, and when we returned home, we realized some of our order was missing. We also realized we needed to order something else. So, back in the car, another 20 minutes at least, and when the order was given and the receipt was presented for what was missing, the friend also made clear that there was an additional order that needed to be paid for. What was striking about the whole exchange was the kindness and the appreciation in his voice as he spoke to the masked and shielded woman at the takeout window, as well as the offer to pay for the additional food which the restaurant would not take. We pulled ahead and waited for our order, and when the man came out to bring us the food, he refused to take payment for the additional order. The friend said, I owe you this money. We understand the mistake because you all were getting slammed earlier. The worker simply responded, thank you for being you. Thank you for being kind. Watching that, I thought to myself, so it's come to this. Basic human decency is such an exception now that simple kindness, appreciation, and civility evokes such incredibly deep gratitude from another? And yet, there is a deeper truth at work here. Gratitude is meant to be more than a reaction. It is meant to be an orientation that brings peace, that can even transform the life of another. We realize that gratitude and grace are inseparable companions, and we realize this any time we remember to give thanks before we eat a meal. We even call it saying grace. A long time ago, Luke's Gospel tells the story of Jesus healing ten lepers and then instructing them to go to the priest to be pronounced clean. Nine of them did as Jesus instructed, but one did not, and instead found Jesus, fell at his feet, and gave thanks. Remember? Remember what Jesus said about that? All ten were healed, but Jesus said to the one who gave thanks, your faith has made you, remember, well. It's one thing to be healed, and a very good thing at that. But if you want to be well, then remember to say thanks. Remember that life is meant to take us beyond ourselves and into a world that needs somebody who with a deep sense of all the grace that has been received will do the next right thing, will do the Christ-like thing.
In other words, like the psalmist wrote, and as we sing in the last stanza of the hymn, all praise and thanks to God, our Father and our Mother, to Christ and to the one who binds us to each other, the one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore. For thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. So, thanks be to God for the gift of a gate called gratitude.